Ads, schmads. If you don't want ads, that's okay. Choose the Dave McWilliams Plus option on Apple Podcasts. And hey, presto, no ads. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. To understand the economy, you have to understand human nature. This podcast is powered by Acast. How are you doing there? It is really the first podcast, John, of 2024. It is. Uh, John and I are dry for January. We have been hung out to dry. We have dried ourselves. <laughs> we were whizzing old and, grapes uh, at this stage. Yeah, yeah, it's like a pair of old prunes we will be by the 1st of February. But uh, all is good. How are you, Ed? I'm good. Oh, well, I'm dry. So there you go. Come on, John. It's only the 2nd of February. It's hardly an no, achievement. It's going well so far. It's hardly an achievement. No, it's hardly all an... good. I'm actually looking forward to 24 because I think it's going to be a humdinger of a year. I really do. I think there's, there's loads happening. Apart from sporty stuff like... Euro 24 and Olympics and all that kind of stuff. Is the uh, Euros on? Yeah. Of course we're not in it. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> we're never in it. But all that stuff is something to look forward to. But the big thing, though, Mac, is 24 is going to be election year for half the planet. The population... Oh, the Indians are going to... Yeah. Right, okay. So over 50% of, of the population... Of all the people who can vote are going to vote. On this planet, yeah. Okay. And this is going to be a real test for democracy. Yeah, Okay, well, let's talk about that then, John. Let's talk about 2024, the big, big idea against a background of rolling elections. And by the way, in Ireland, we're going to have the European elections and I expect all sorts of colourful creatures to be emerged there because the European elections are kind of like Mickey Mouse for people because they don't really count. They're more like performative. Yeah, 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 yeah. But yes, okay, so... Well, there were a few mistakes made in the last election and we ended up with some clowns. Yeah, well, we, we, we actually occupy, on the clown front, we are very well representative at the European yes. uh, Parliament. Yeah. But let us look at 2024 through the prism of what's likely to come election-wise, but also what is critical in all elections is the message. Who owns it? Who controls it? Exactly. Who controls the narrative? And I want to talk to you, John, about... What I can see is this, maybe the key issue for 2024 is the battle between what you might call the micromedia and our microculture and macroculture, right? Okay. And macromedia. What do you mean by that? So I, what I mean by that is we are looking at a year where the disruption in media 
will be so significant. It'll be kind of, there'll be this sort of disruption that has been coming for quite some time, but I think mm. it'll come to a crescendo between micro media, which is the sort of stuff we do here in the podcast, right? Right. Okay. Podcasting, substacking, YouTubing, all that individual sort of, content TikTok-ing, creators, all yeah. that sort of stuff, yeah. right? Yeah. And legacy media, mainstream media. Now, I'm I'm a weird creature. I've got one foot in one camp with the Irish Times and one foot here with the yeah. with with the podcast, so I can see the dynamic. Well, and, and of both course, of us actually worked in mainstream yeah, media yeah, for because we years, both worked yeah. in the the old media for a few years, so we know what's happening there. And I think this is the biggest change because it means throughout this year, as people are looking for information, are looking for angles, are looking for editorial, are looking to make sense of the world, mm. ahead of going into the ballot box, they are being hit with an enormous amount of alt-media ideas. And these alt-media ideas are incredibly powerful, right? So I think this is what I want to talk to you about today. But I want to put it against the background of Little Red Riding Hood. <laughs> okay, right. right. I have been reading, right? So you know, what? He's regressing. I knew he's regressing. No, 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 no. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. I've got a point here, right? Around Christmas time, you see all these Disney-eyes versions of fairy stories and folklore, okay, yeah. that are back on, repeats, right? Yeah, yeah. On the old media. And I was looking at those, and if you study anything about folklore and tales and fairy stories and all this sort of stuff, mm. what you know is that what we get is a highly sanitized version of something like Little Red Riding Hood, right? So what we have is tens of thousands of years of oral tradition of telling stories. They were mm. moralistic stories. They were suggestive stories. They were sexual stories. They were awakening stories. They were the way in which humans spoke to each other. Yeah. Right? Well, the Bible is full of it the as well. The Bible is full of all this yeah. sort of stuff. So if you take something like Little Red Riding, I've been reading over Shan's shoulder a book called The Bloody Chamber by Angela Carter. Now, Angela Carter was a British writer, unbelievably productive, prolific, and brilliant and strange and unusual. What, what year? She died in about 1992. She okay. only lived, she died, she was about 50. But oh, right, Irish okay. people might remember the Neil Jordan movie, The Company of Wolves. Yeah. And The Company of Wolves was based on a short story by Angela Carter, which I've just read, right? Okay. And so The Bloody Chamber is her writing and retelling of the stories of Little Red Riding Hood. And what she's basically saying is that when we go and look at these stories, every culture had a microculture at the time. They were telling themselves the stories. They were telling themselves the stories of the village and the area and the region. Mm. And it's only when the Brothers Grimm, so the Brothers Grimm were a pair of German romantics yeah. in the late 18th century. Yeah. And they went around Germany and they collected all these stories from all the old basically all, all German villagers, yeah. and they compiled yeah. them into it. But they compiled very sanitized versions to reflect the slightly Victorian morality of the day. So all the little girls were innocent, and they were timid, and, and the wolves were always really nasty, and the grannies were clever, but, you know, all that sort of... And Carter takes these stories and says, no, that's not what they're about at yeah. all. Yeah. She goes deep into the extraordinary earthiness of original fairy stories and folklore, which were the way in which we entertained ourselves. So they were bawdy and they were rude and they were suggestive and all those sort of things. And they weren't for kids. And they weren't for kids. They were for adults. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were for adults, right? And, And the references are very sexual. They're very overt. All that sort of stuff, right? 
So it struck me while I was thinking about the mainstream media, John, right. that some, a similar process has happened really with storytelling. So in the beginning, you have all these diffuse, disseminated, diverse stories, which are very risque and are built generation after generation after generation. Then they become standardized in one editorial by, let's say, the Brothers Grimm. Yeah. Then they become retold, but as saccharine versions of themselves. And it's only now that people like Angela Carter are beginning to write again that you see these stories being liberated for yeah. the screen, for the theatre, but also in, in books. So it's the same sort of process. You start diffuse, you become concentrated, and you become diffuse again. Now, if you take that model and see what's happening now in the economics of the media, because the economics of the media is something we don't talk about half enough. Yeah. Right? And you see what's happening to, again, mainstream media. These companies and organizations are imploding, right? If you look at, for example, in Ireland, RTE has no money. Yeah. It's firing loads of journalists. It's got its voluntary redundancy. Right? Yeah. BBC. That's been, that's been coming for years, though. It's been coming for years, but it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's a dying organization, yeah. right? You know, I don't say that with any glee or any, 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 any joy. I just see what's happening, right? Yeah. Yeah. BBC, when I was a kid... I used to watch, not even a kid, when I was an, an adult, I used to watch Newsnight on BBC Two almost religiously yeah. to get my information. Yeah. Well, particularly when I was living in London, right? That has now contracted massively. BBC is cutting back on even its flagship news programme, Newsnight, right? Yeah, yeah. The Washington Post, Jeff Bezos is trying to fire a thousand people in that organisation, right? Wow. yeah. The New Yorker, the premier American magazine, firing journalists. The New York Times, the same, firing journalists. They're all contracting. So what you see is one part of the media which is contracting rapidly. Mm. And I don't think we really appreciate it so much. We can we hear the headlines, right? So that's the macro culture yeah. dying in front of our eyes, right? And this is the biggest disruptive moment in generations when it comes to media, right? Mm. Take, for example, micromedia, podcasting, Substacking, YouTubers, TikTokers, all this is booming. It's going, going through the roof, right? Yeah. And so what you have is an inflection point at a time when arguably it's most worrying because you've got a massive election or election cycles coming along. But, but, but what's the driving force behind this? Because, I mean, you know, in, in mainstream media, there was always the... They, well, they, they certainly seem to be held to a higher standard. And there was big editorial... Not half as teams. high standard as us, John. Oh, well, of not course not. Sorry, sorry. We have an editorial board sitting in the corner <laughs> of our lads and our ones stroking their chins and worried about our editorial. But, but isn't that the very problem is that, so you have all these micro content creators, whether they're podcasters yeah. or substackers or whatever, but there is no editorial control. It is just opinion at the end of the day. Well, that's suggesting that the people who control editorial in the larger media have a better understanding of the world. And I have met many of them, and I'm telling you, it's not the case. But that's a fair right? point. Okay. No, that's a, that's a fair point. I've worked point. with loads of them. I've worked with loads yeah, of them. Yeah, but that is true. But also, there, there was a lot more kind of fact-checking and verification of stories. and There, and there was, but there was also a huge amount of censorship. Right? Yes. Self-censorship. Yes, yes. Self-censorship. That's, that's absolutely true. And a lot of censorship for all the right reasons. Yeah. But I think there's two ways to look at it. The one way is you can look at the economics of the internal organization, right? And I've always maintained that once you get into a large company, you become a communist, 
right? And by that I mean, <laughs> by that I mean, you know, and I've because I've worked in yeah. large banks, right? Like you're you're ostensibly working in the private sector, but you go in, and then suddenly all that competition that you talk about becomes subservient to politics, arse kissing, bureaucracy, moving things from here to there. That basically all the set of incentives that are there for the individual once you go into a large organisation, mm. even if that organisation claims to be a massive capitalist company, right, mm. tend to be much more bureaucratic in nature. And you're moving more into the world of Brezhnev than you <laughs> are into the world of Bezos, yeah, okay? Yeah. That's, that's, my, that, that's, that's my... I like that one, Mike. That's my... <laughs> no, but over the years, right? Yeah. So that's the first one. Then the second thing is, it's the market itself that's changing. It's the recipients that are changing, right? And then when you said, why is it changing now? Yeah. I think the market has become completely diffuse, right? So the people who listen to this podcast are very, very different to the people who, for example, read my Irish Times articles, right? Yes. They're a totally different market, right? Yeah. And one is speaking to one market, one is speaking to another market, and they are getting more separate, mm. right? They are getting more mm. separate. And this is what I want to talk about, is that what, what we see is if you look at all the data what it's talking about, what it's talking about is this ongoing revenue split, business split, and population split between micromedia or microculture, let's just say, yeah. and macro. Because basically economics is culture. It's yes. part of the background noise and the conversation of the country. So Stripe, the Irish-owned company, does all the back-end payments for lots and lots of the internet, mm. right? And they're talking about what they have seen in the last couple of years in the United States, but obviously what happens in the States comes here with a, with a lag of about a year, right? Yeah, yeah. And they're talking, they said in, in, in 2021, we aggregated data from 50 popular creator platforms, okay? And we found that they had onboarded, terrible American word, yes. <laughs> uh, 668,000 creators. And these people had received about 10 billion in payments. Yeah. These are Patreon and ACAST and all these sort of things, right? We refreshed the data from 2023 and we found something surprising. The creator economy is still growing as fast as it was in 2021. Today, those 50 creator platforms, take Patreon, for example, have onboarded about 1 million creators, right? So it's doubled the amount of creators, but they've paid out 25 billion in earnings. So the right. earnings has not only doubled, but more than doubled. So what you're finding is there's a massive shift in earnings going to these creators, mm. not because the creators are any better, but because they're actually generating a massive, massive new audience, right? Yeah. Now, I want to just tell you just to, if you want more of this, right? Speaking of creator, it's a great mm. substack by a guy called Ted Gaioa. And it's called The Honest Broker. And he's the guy who wrote the history of music that we were reading in the summer. Ah, right? okay, right. Yeah, so he's, yeah. into, he's a cultural commentator. Yeah. So I'm, I'm drawing from lots of stuff he's written, yeah. right? But, you know, he's, he, he's what he's trying to say is like, is there something going on in the culture? Yeah. And I think he's absolutely right. He's absolutely what's right. his take then? What's he saying? So he's take, he's, his take is, is more or less what we're talking about. He's saying, look, hold on a second. This is going on. Mm. This is real. And then you think, okay, why is it going on, right? And the first thing he says is that Culture always starts with micro, right? That you invent your own things. Mm. So you've got your own language, you've got your own stories. Then, for example, people leave the community, they go out on a journey, which is why one of the great stories is always the hero's journey. Yeah, you know, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you, you, your Star Wars journey, right? Yeah. These, are, these are great, great traditional stories of the human challenge. Mind. And that's how, yeah, the challenge, and that's how we communicate, yeah. right? And then once you go out into the big bad world, you get various different stories, right? And then what you find is 
in the period, say, for example, in the early 20th century, right? So in the, in the early 20th century, what you find was the high concentration of media as a result of the radio, right? So the radio was an amazing, amazing invention. But what the radio and the gramophone did was they concentrated the power into very few hands. There's a great example of in before the gramophone, so before mm. the record, in Italy, there would have been many hundreds of opera singers. And these fellows used to actually travel around and yeah. sing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they get paid. Ropsing would turn up and all the Italians go out in the Piazza de Santa Domenico or whatever it is. And your man would sing away La Traviata and everyone would give him a clap and he'd get a few hundred lira in his back pocket. But once gramophones came in, suddenly people wanted to hear the very best tenor in Italy. Not yeah. the second best or the third best or the fifth best or the fellow who's just turned up, right? Yeah, okay? yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, with the, with the traveling circus. Yeah, yeah, right? the tribute band. Exactly, yeah. They do, yeah, exactly. <laughs> they want to see the real thing. Yeah. They could buy the real thing with records. So suddenly what happened was the returns to the very best tenor went through the roof because everybody wanted to hear Pavarotti, for yeah, example. Yeah, right? yeah, of course. And all the second-rate tenors who were obviously really good, yeah. they couldn't make a crust and they ended up working in Pizza Land or something, right? Yeah, okay. Yeah. So just think, right, what was happening. So, but tenors... They wanted ABBA and not the ABBA experience. They wanted ABBA and not the... Exactly. <laughs> although apparently the ABBA experience is very good. It's very good. Very, 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 very good. But so technology always amplifies in the beginning. Hmm. So what happened then with radio and television? When we were young, everybody on TV looked the same. They sounded the same. All the newsreaders sounded yes. the same. Well, they there said was the, the BBC voice, wasn't there? And the RTE voice, right? Yeah, and yeah, they yeah. said the same thing. Yeah. So that's one thing. But also, think about music. All the music was funneled through the major record labels. Yeah. So they held, speaking of music, we're going to play out with Lucy's new tune. Okay. All right, I look forward a to that. A new tune called Follow Me, a wonderful tune just released the other day. But in music... They owned the airspace, right? Mm. Think about in the movies. So all the cultural output, Hollywood, it was basically the five big majors. Remember they used to talk about the five big majors that owned almost everything in Hollywood, yeah. right? Yeah, 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 yeah. So what we're talking about is the excessive concentration of the message. And the message is the power because the message is how you get into people's heads. But but also what was happening there is that, you know, for example, in the music industry, you'd have all these indie labels that kick off with, you know, a handful of artists. And then the big boys would come along and buy, buy the, them all. And buy them right. right. So, so, so it, it all concentrates. It's not monopolization exactly, uh, in, of capitalism. Exactly. So think about when, when we were young, we lived in a monocultural, monochrome world mm. where there was one essentially mediated message starting with the media, but percolating through all sorts of various different parts of culture that we were absorbing, particularly music and movies, you know, all that sort of stuff. And then you get a breakaway, as you say, the alt movement. Yeah. So, you know, art house cinema, much of it total woeful shite. Yeah. But you yeah. had to go to see it to see what, what else was going on because you didn't want to see Hollywood stuff. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Our, our, our art, our music, our punk, our ska, our, all these sort of Countercultural movements, right? Now, the fascinating thing about countercultural movements is that if you look at the 50s and 60s and 70s, particularly in the America, but also all around the Britain as well, right, is that the mainstream was always aware of counterculture. It was always trying to dip its toe into counterculture. It was always trying to see what was different, you know, which is why, for example, David Bowie was copied by almost everybody. Yeah, yeah, right? of course. Just copied because yeah, yeah. he was better, right? Yeah. The Beatles were counterculture for a while and they tried to be counterculture again. You know, all that sort of idea is that counterculture always existed in the same general 
area as mainstream culture. Mm. Now I think we're in something slightly different because what I can see is that the mainstream culture and the legacy media, rather than embracing the way the market is going, are throwing up barriers to it. So I was intrigued, you know, when RTE get into trouble, they employ a guy who used to be an RTE and then was in BBC. And it was like, they're mm. not saying, okay, who's leading podcasting? Let's go there. Yeah, They're yeah, not employing yeah, yeah. people who get what's going on. Yeah. So, you know, when the New York Times wants a new editor, they probably go to the Washington Post. Or when the, for example, when the BBC wants a new chief bottle washer, they go back into the, the chief bottle washer gang in yeah, the yeah, UK, yeah. right? Yeah. So what they're not doing is they're not getting that we are at a moment of massive disruption and that the only way in which they can grasp their own little territory here mm. is by going with the change. But it seems to me they're fighting against the change. So they tend to lead moments for regulation of this and regulation of that and all that sort of stuff, rather than realising, okay, this is the new world. But So why is this different to you know, the usual kind of pattern Well, of- I think what we're talking about, if we come back to our good friend Schumpeter, we're talking about the same process, right? We're mm. talking about growth, rebirth, cycles, creative destruction, all that stuff. So let's just come back to Schumpeter after the break. Brilliant. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. So, Mac, we're talking about micro and macro Culture. cultures. Yes, and messaging and, and who manage, who owns the economy of messaging. And how it is changing, particularly at the moment. We were talking about Schumpeter. You were going to explain yeah. the, the well, Schumpeter angle on this. Th- I think the most expensive part of the economy is what we could call the economy of attention. It's people's attention. Mm. So whoever has people's attention has enormous power, both commercially, ideologically, politically, socially. And this is something that, you know, our old friend Chomsky, who wouldn't not necessarily be an old friend, <laughs> but he understood what his, his idea of, he wrote a very interesting book in the 70s called Manufacturing Consent, 
just yeah. the idea of how the American media actually works. It's really brilliant, brilliant stuff. Really, really brilliant stuff. And then Chomsky wouldn't be a friend of Schumpeter. Is but he still alive, by the way? Chomsky is still alive. He is still alive. Noam Chomsky. I interviewed him in the early 2000s in his office in Boston. Right. And uh, he was a very, very pleasant man, very, very civilised man. I thought to myself, though, and it's a terrible thing to say because he's a, he's a real... He's, he's about 127 he's, now, he's isn't about he? about 128, yeah. <laughs> it's 128 last but I found I found his analysis of the world not hugely persuasive. Okay. Which, you know, it was very much, they're the enemy and they're the heroes. And it was, it was basically a world of, of enemies, good guys and bad guys. Cold War stuff. Well, it wasn't even Cold War stuff. It was just the way he framed... No, but that kind of that thinking. Kind of thinking yeah, yeah, the way yeah. he framed the world wasn't that un, unlike John Wayne. Right. right, that all the engines are bad, and all yeah. the all, all yeah, the white yeah, 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 and the yeah. sheriff's a good guy. Yeah, yeah. And I remember thinking, is it that simple? Am I missing something? Yeah. Isn't it more complicated? Isn't it slightly more reactive? And and, and isn't the world in this constant state of flux? Which is why I'm much more inclined to like Schumpeter. Yes. Because Schumpeter's whole idea is we are in a state of flux. Yeah. yeah. There is no equilibrium. There's no even long term. It's all immediate. Yeah. Right? You know, that's what Keynes said, in the long run, we're all dead. So don't worry about it. Yeah. Worry about what's right in front of you, right? And so Schumpeter's basic idea, as you know, is that in success are the seeds of failure. In all successes are the seeds of failure. And in economics and financial markets, and what we're talking about is the economics of the media here, that nobody actually ever has a comparative advantage. All you have is a temporary monopoly. So if you're doing well, no matter mm. what you're doing, you know, if your podcast is doing well, this is not anything guaranteed. Yeah. You basically, it's a temporary monopoly. For that moment, you're doing the right thing, yeah. right? But there's always going to be somebody coming up behind you, figuring the whole thing out, right? And this is the world in which Schumpeter saw, and this is how he explained capitalism, right? That capitalism was this constant churn. And then if you look at the other things he said was that the introduction of technology amplifies and accelerates the process of creative destruction. Mm. So as I said about the radio, it just changes things. And of course, the big change is the internet, right? Now, it's taken some time mm. for the internet to actually have an impact. And that's what Bill Gates said, you know, the thing about the internet and all technology is we tend to overestimate its impact in the very short term and underestimate its impact in the very long term. Yeah. And by that he was meaning, you know, that when you get things like the dot-com bubble, yeah. people overestimate the impact in the short term. Like, it's going to change the world. Yeah, yeah. But it doesn't change the world quickly. It changed the world relentlessly and slowly, mm. right? So in the same way as the internet came from the music business, and what did the music business do? It spent 10 years trying to fight the internet. You know, they were fighting, they were yeah, fighting yeah, Napster yeah. and they are fighting streaming. Yeah. Rather than realize, that's it. Nothing you can do. It's it, The technology's here. There's nothing. Nobody required the technology to come in. Nobody said, now we're going to change. It just happens on a moment of kind of a Cambrian moment. You know, the, this idea of the great Cambrian burst <laughs> yes. of the world, right? Yeah, yeah, the yeah, same yeah. kind of general idea, which is why I always think that biology is much more interesting. Yeah. The way you look at the world. Now we are in the phase where the legacy media now are a bit like Sony back in 2004, 2005 you know, flying writs everywhere and court cases and yeah. not realising that the kids don't want to pay for music anymore. Yeah. That's once you give it away free, it's gone. Yeah. So yeah. you have to recalibrate and refigure out your music model. Yeah. And now what you're looking at is, I think, is, is the same thing happening in media. But the reason media is more important 
News media in particular. Yeah, it's because media influences people. Yeah. And influences people's choices in elections, and it influences who people listen to. And what you look at, and this is this is what I think is happening. Look, if you look at the difference between, for example, what we would call the, the mainstream or the macroculture and the microculture, one thing is microculture is the source of all growth in media at the moment. All growth, mm. right? So your BBCs and your RTEs and your Canal Pluses and all are losing. Microculture is going through the roof. It's already the source of an increasing amount of revenue. So the more revenue it gets, the bigger it's going to get. Yeah. And all these sort of alt-media outlets are accelerating in, in every single area. And we forget that this alt-media that we're talking about, this micromedia, has an incredible impact on the public imagination. Yeah. But the old media doesn't see this, right? That maybe people are getting their news somewhere else. They're getting their political ideas somewhere else. And more interestingly, the new micromedia, alt-media, whatever you want to call it, is creating tribes. And those tribes are very powerful. That's that idea that, you know, it's not that I like that, but I am like that. Mm. Now, we saw this in the right wing in Ireland, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They're all getting their media from a certain area and they're listening to this and it's reinforcing their prejudices. And the way But it's happening across every area. So what you're finding now is it's going to be much more difficult for political parties, which if you think about it, is in a highly anachronistic structure, mm. right? A dominant political party say, I'm with Fine Gael. Yeah, I'm with yeah. Fianna Fáil. I'm with Sinn Féin. It's like, what does that actually mean? In a diffuse world, it means nothing. So you think they're sitting around trying to think, right, we're going to have a European election. We have a general election probably the end of next year. The Brits have an election coming up, a mm. big, big election for the Brits. Of course, the mother and father of all of them is Joe Biden versus Donald Trump, yeah, right? Yeah. So how did they get their message across? How did the political parties take policy and try to actually spin it into something which is digestible and comprehensible and convincing for the various tribes. Yeah, but what what is also worrying is it, it also comes at a time when we have the rise of new technology like AI yeah. and more manipulation of the message. And you have and more... And reproduction of the message and all that sort absolutely. of stuff. Absolutely. But also, I mean, just going back to what you are saying just a little earlier was governments, the way they can control to a certain extent is through regulation. And they introduce new regulators and regulations and laws and all the rest. But of course, the more they do that, the more of a backlash there yeah. is. And that's what we've seen so, up until now. So these individual podcasters or substackers or whatever, yeah, it, it's kind of the Wild West in many ways. You're absolutely right. I think 2024 will be the year of insurrection. Mm. And I mean the insurrection in little mutinies in people's minds, right? That a couple of years, I mean, again, it's amazing how quickly things change. This landscape is completely different to the last electoral cycle. Completely, yeah. completely different. We also had a pandemic in the middle of it, so people became more atomized, more individualized, slightly more removed from the world, okay? Yeah. Both physically and I think emotionally. And mentally, yeah, yeah, right? that's true. And so now we're looking at, we're coming together. We have a total diffusion of the message. We have no way for mainstream political parties and their spin doctors to control this message because they're talking maybe to the wrong people. Like there's very little point in 
in the Irish case of Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael spin doctor sitting talking to the head of RTE, right? Mm. Because that's not going to garner any, because the people who watch RTE or listen to RTE are over 40 and they're broadly speaking set in their ways. Yeah. Where the elections are going to be won and lost on this new electorate that's never voted before mm. or is up for grabs or is thinking, will I go for these guys? Will I go for that guys? I don't want to vote the way my parents did or my class did or whatever. So I'm going to go somewhere else. But the question then is, how does the political world grab their attention? And I'm not sure it can because it doesn't have control over the message. Now, But actually, hang on a second, mate. What, what about the economics of these individuals? You know, obviously, it is a business for a lot of people. It's not just pure politics and, you know, pushing a message for the good of it. So how will that distort the message? I think, I'm not sure, I'm not sure. You know, they'll follow the money. They'll follow, they will follow the money. And then in the same way as you've got to be very, very aware of, you know, where people's cash is coming from and are they influenced? I mean, I think that will definitely be part of the mm. equation. But something's really interesting that's happening at the moment is that the huge tech platforms, right? Like, so for YouTube, like yeah. Twitter, right? Yeah. They're all Facebook, all these, all these, right? They're all, bond, they're all dependent on content creators. This is the fascinating thing. So what Mark Zuckerberg doesn't have, he, he just basically has a platform for people creating content, yeah. right? Yeah. But his instinctive nature is to be the boss, to rule. Whereas the instinctive way in which this jungle is going is to be free. Yeah. Right? You see the same thing with your man who runs Twitter, Musk, yeah. shouting and roaring, closing people down, right? Yeah, yeah. And the one that he opens it up and he closes people down. You cannot have a boss in this world for the moment as we go through this period. So the interesting thing about money is that the huge tech platforms are dependent on these creators for their content. Yeah. And all they are is content providers. So yes, at the moment, Facebook is 100 times bigger than, or what's it called now, Meta, is yeah, 100 yeah, yeah. times bigger than BBC or Alphabet is 100 times bigger than this, that, and the other. But at the at essence, they're depending on creators yeah. for their income. So it'll be fascinating to see how they go, how they jump, because they are part of this huge, huge movement because they, ironically, are providing the platform and they're getting paid for somebody else's ideas. Yeah. And eventually those somebody else's are going to say, hold on a second, lads. Yeah, yeah, All yeah. you are, you're like RTE in a hoodie. That's, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. You're like the man <laughs> in the suit from RTE, except you've got a hoodie on, right? But you're the same type of creature, Yeah, you know? So the, but the, the fascinating thing is to go back to the way in which we are communicating, right? So a fellow called Marshall McLuhan, who he? So he wrote a book in 1964 called Understanding Media, The Extensions of Man. So he was talking about how the media is central to the way in which we mm. look at the world. And he came up with the great expression, the medium is the message. So what he was basically saying is that he who controls the medium controls the message, right? Yeah. Now, at the moment, nobody controls the medium because we're having this diffusion. So the centrifugal forces that are tearing up the world, right, yeah. are tearing deep holes in the old media, right, and the old platforms, and the rest is now up for grabs. And where we're going to see this this year, John, where we're really going to see this this year, I would say, is in a cacophony of voices around 
the coming elections, right? Because there'll be no centralized message. Mm. So mm. it will be a fascinating way to look at politics and economics. Because ultimately, it's all driven by money. It's all driven by economics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, anything's up for grabs. So we are at a revolutionary moment. And speaking of diffusion, yeah. let us play out with a new tune. And this is the revolutionary moment of young people making their own music and putting it up on Spotify and seeing where the world takes them. You know, that there's no A&R man, there's no record company, yeah, yeah. there's no big person saying this is good or bad, or they're, not, they're not pushing them onto the top of the pops or anything. They're saying, let the music speak and let's see uh, what punters think. So Lucy's new song called Follow Me, and why don't we play out with it? Let's go. Baby, it's my turn to be loved. Can you teach me?
Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.